welcome to the new and hopefully long-running podcast by myself, Darren Matthews. I'm a comedian from just outside Newry in County Armagh in Ireland and I'll be chatting to some friends of mine and some very interesting people. Hopefully you guys enjoy, you'll stick around and have a listen. Let me know what you think. and welcome to the podcast this week of uh, Darren Matthews chatting to lovely, interesting, uh, fantastic people. We're going to work on the name, but uh, (laughs) I think that's not a bad start. I am joined this week by Joe McGuigan, bass player of uh, probably Newry's most famous metal band. Yeah, that's not saying much, but yeah. I I think that's that's a safe claim. Yep. Newry's most famous metal band, uh, the awesome Gamma Bomb. So fun fact before we start, the first gig I ever played as a drummer when I was 16 years old, was supporting you. Wow. Supporting you guys in the Magnet Center with my band uh, 7-Eleven at the time, which later became Next in Line. So I was opening for you guys Halloween gig in the Magnet Center in Uri, which is where all of the uh, the headbangers and wobblies used to hang out. You're not going to believe this, but I have the poster for that gig up in the garage. I also have the poster for that gig. <laughs> um, who, did, who else played it? Um, it was either the Black Alley Screens or... And Tilt. Yeah, one of those, like... Or Tilted. Yeah, they just seemed so grown up to us back then. Like, you know, bands like Tilted or Honey for Christ would come to the Magnet and they would have, like, half stacks and stuff, you know, and we would just be sitting going, oh, my God, they've got their own van and stuff like that, you know? (laughs) They could afford guitars. And, like, again, they must have... They couldn't have been, like, 21 or 22 years old, but, like, to us at the time, it seemed, like, incredibly... They were, like, on their way to becoming Metallica. Yeah, they they could afford music lessons and had also the ability to grow beards. Yep, that's it. Something we all lacked. No beards. No beards back then. None of your trendy nonsense like you have these days, kids. That was even metalers couldn't grow beards. Philly, our singer, still can't grow a proper beard. He, he can't grow sideburns, so he always has an Abraham Lincoln-style kind of affair with wee tash. Superb. We, we will get to them, so we'll, we'll introduce the the band as is. So, Gamma Bomb at present, although I say Newry's most famous band, three of the members of the modern lineup aren't from Newry. Aren't from Newry, yeah. Okay, so the original lineup I would have known would have been yourself and the good man, Philly Byrne. Yep. So, Joe on bass, Philly on uh, the vocals. Yep. Uh, Damien Boyce was playing drums at the yep. time. Boycey. Boise, and then who's guitar player? Uh, at, the Two, st- at the start, it was um, oh, well. Luke Graham was obviously there for the whole first ten years and stuff, but uh, back then it was Luke and Stevie Campbell. That's yeah. right, Stevie Campbell and Luke, the quiet man. Yeah, quiet man who went from being very quiet to very rock and roll to very quiet again. Did I? Yeah. How do we face God? Love. <laughs> yeah. So that was the first thing. So uh, that was two thousand two. When did the band form? Yeah, 2002. 2002 was the formation. Yeah. And how many albums, record contracts, EPs since then? Six albums now. Six albums down the line. That's impressive, saying as most bands don't release anything anymore. <laughs> well, yeah, most bands after they don't get a couple of platinum records give up, whereas we were all like, never. As long as people keep giving us free beer, we're going to keep doing gigs. <laughs> that good Northern Irish spirit of That's never. It. That's it. But uh, yeah, so pretty much, uh, if you've never heard of Gamma Bomb, don't worry, because uh, they're a metal band. Does anyone remember metal? Children? Anyone at the back? It's not for mass consumption anymore. It's not. Uh, Is it weird? Is one thing I wanted to start, because obviously when we were growing up and being teenagers, rock music as a whole was a popular genre. Yeah. Therefore, young people wanted to learn instruments. Yeah. Do you find it weird now that everyone is uh, an MC, a rapper, or a producer? Um... I guess it's definitely, you know, the thing is, it's confusing for us now because we're old guys. So we look at what's going on with young people today and we're like, 
back in my day, you know, yeah. that's that's just your general outlook on it. And it probably was a bit easier for us whenever we were growing up. There was so much like punk bands and stuff like bands like Ash and Therapy and local bands who kind of did well. And you could see that there was an obvious way to achieve your goals. And we were like, oh, right. So there's an easy way to do that. Whereas I think now it's probably it's more difficult with rock and it's a lot easier with other sorts of music. Yeah, unless you are an already established touring rocket yeah. who've been around maybe for 20 years, like the Foo yeah. Fighters can do totally. Vital and do a world tour no and problem. still release albums. But the other thing is, when you formed the Thrash Metal Band in 2002, yeah. weren't you already 15 years <laughs> past? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose we were all to- like nearly 20 in 2002. So Yeah, no, but you, you, in the basis that you're 15 years past what the popular genre of music is. Well, it wasn't really until like two thousand and like like two thousand and two or so that like rock music properly was in the doldrums, like yeah, like in terms of locally and stuff like that as well. Um, there was a long time when we were growing up, we used to listen to lots of punk bands and play lots of punk gigs and stuff. Because apart from like metal bands, like there was some death metal bands like Hexton and stuff in Belfast. A lot of the music was like this kind of sub therapy meets load or reload era metallica like and there was loads of bands from the north all doing that kind of stuff um and like we didn't like any of that and we didn't like loads of our friends were in new metal bands and we didn't like any of that stuff either so we were listening to live after death and being all like oh man when are these days gonna come back one of the things (laughs) i wanted to say is one of the reasons i was never in a metal band when i started playing was because i think the reason a lot of people are in punk bands when they start like ryan adams his first band is a punk band he's a an Americana singer-songwriter. The reason it is is because you don't really have to be good to be in a punk band. No. You just have to be really enthusiastic. Yeah. So metal is different though. Metal is usually, there's some sort of skill level. Yeah. And it takes you ages. Like there was so long where we were like trying to play way beyond our means for like years and years until we just eventually could start, you know, getting the chops together. But that was really after the kind of Newry contingent kind of left, you know? Yeah. Like in the early days, Kevy Canavan, who was the guitar player after um, after Stevie Campbell, he was brilliant and he was a way better guitar player than all of us and stuff like that, you know? And whenever he left the band to be a full-time member of a Pink Floyd tribute band. That's right, know? I remember that. And he, our drummer, Roni Fitzpatrick, got the boot that year as well. So we were sitting around in like 2005 going, what are we going to do? We're doomed need a guitar player and a drummer yeah you know right? yeah. Yeah. I mean drummers are hen's teeth they're very hard to find totally and that was the whole thing like we'd spent like four or five years playing with the Dangerfields in Belfast and doing all exclusively punk gigs for like four or five years doing demos and going to Scotland but it was always punk gigs and we'd never played in Dublin and we'd never played with any metal bands at all and then whenever Kevy left in 2005 um, we put up ads for a drummer and a guitar, a guitar player and they were both from Dublin, and that's how we got into Dublin. At the time, whenever you guys, as you said, when you started touring, there is obviously an abundance of metal bands in mm. the UK and Europe, especially, which is yep. massive. Which is where you get to do your festivals and your, because yep. obviously there's, I don't know, there's more of a scene for it, or there's more of an audience. I don't know, I don't know why, but we do have metal festivals here in Ireland. Yeah, have they always been there, or is it just an, uh, it's just such a small scene or an undercurrent or? Metal is like over here specifically. It's incredibly like sort of reserved and. Like, things like black metal and death metal and doom and stuff has always been kind of popular in Ireland. Um, and there's been a lot of that stuff ever since the early 90s over here and Celtic metal and tin whistles and stuff. But the whole kind of Iron Maiden or, you know, anthrax kind of vibe was never really, you know, 
people like the originals, but they don't want to see like a crappy copy. Someone do it, <laughs> you know. So yeah, that's that's always been the kind of case. And um, I don't know, like it was definitely a case, as I said at the start, we were trying to play like you know thrash bands, but it sounded a bit more like Motorhead, and I think that went went down pretty well with punks. Yeah, know? well, I mean, Motorhead is that beautiful crossover act of yeah. I mean, people say, oh, Motorhead's a metal band. You're like, yeah, but they only know four notes. Yeah. So are they? <laughs> yeah, so, and that was the thing, that, like, around then, like, if you speak to Andy from the Dangerfield, like, he gave us all of our early breaks. Like, when we went to the Scotland for the first time, it was through him. And, like, you can attest, like, he was really good at that sort of stuff. But there were so few metal bands that he would bring us out on tour one year. And then this other band, um, uh, the Dead End Sluts, the next from year. Portadown. Yeah, who were, like... A, Marilyn Manson S band from Portadown but that'll give you an idea of what the crack was back then there was so little metal going that it was just like you go to the Rosetta and play with death metal bands or you know you had to play punk gigs like. hmm, okay from that initial thing so we should probably talk a bit about the band itself so number one Gamma Bomb Inc- yeah. In- incredible Hulk reference yeah of course the song content of what you guys do there's a lot of retro stuff there's a yeah. lot of throwback yeah. There's a lot of reliving your childhood going there on there. Is, isn't there? There's songs about the Technodrome and Robocop, and it's all—I mean, it's all stuff I love because I'm—I'm an '80s baby. Yep, there's I'm a of song the generation. Album called Kurt Russell, which is about Kurt Russell. I, I enjoy that song <laughs> on the 2018 Speed Between the Lines. So six albums. Uh, yeah, did was that a conscious decision or like who who writes the lyrical content? Philly. Philly um, is yeah. Philly just a big geek? Yeah, and like we all do pitch in and stuff like that, and occasionally we'll like write kind of. Whenever we step out of doing that stuff, it'll be to write a topical song about, like, say, global warming or something like that, or an anti-fascist song, you know. But that's kind of it. Like, there's nothing really else worth writing about these days, you know. I also feel like what you guys do keeps it fun. Yeah. Like, metal doesn't have to... Is it? Do people... Like, obviously, metal is seen as that kind of quite serious dark. Is When you guys play, like, festivals in, in Europe and you meet all these guys with the faces painted, to be like... So what's your album about? And you're like, do you like the turtles? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have you ever seen Robocop 2? You don't have to have seen the first one. Um, yeah, you get loads of that. And Metal is so, like, up its own arse about that and, like, takes itself too seriously that, you know, our singer Philly wears, like, a pink suit on stage. And, like, some people in the audience will totally love it. And they'll, like, they'll be like, way. And then other people are like, how dare you? You know, this is supposed to be serious. And how dare you, you know make fun of heavy metal by, See, know, I also find this is funny because I wanted to be a punk when I was younger but I also like play Gaelic football so I, yeah. I wasn't going to dye my hair pink and cut a mohawk <laughs> in because I want to get victimised on the field yeah. but it was kind of weird so people are like we're so unique we're part of a scene we're a community but if you step outside it there's repercussions totally Yeah. to be we're so unique why don't you look like me yeah and, and that's like that was the whole thing with Philly and his weird outfits you know Darren will remember back in the day he used to dress up as a chef and a pirate and stuff so good but it was always the thing that people would give him crap about that because that is not part of the heavy metal uniform you know and that's uh, that's the thing to metal's detriment is that it's it's kind of like before the Beatles exploded the people who are there are like well this is mine and I don't want you to change it in any way shape or form you know yeah well, pe- so. people love what they love because of why but I feel like song content and all this stuff. I do remember coming over here when you guys were starting around. I was a teenager. Um, we, um, we're, we're actually right now in a, a lovely uh, Georgian guest house in Newry, my hometown, and where the band are from. And uh, I used to come over here and hang out. We'd have beers and we'd see the practice room. The guys were fortunate enough to have like a rehearsal room at the back of the house, which was absolutely badass to me. 
because we used to have to rehearse in the magnet center yeah. and pay for rehearsals like poor people uh, but you had that option where I thought I just thought that was brilliant because when you were saying about the kind of music you want to play you, you are doing it because when you start playing any music it's just something you and your mates like yeah and obviously like sitting in here now we're in a we're in a room here doing the recording and there's a lot of like old movie posters yeah I feel like a lot of that went into the image of the band the it became a personality of the people especially people like yourself and Philly so yeah. big horror movie fans it all fits in lovely with the metal yeah. stuff yeah big horror movie fans you know bit geeky love your comic books love your stuff and all that bleeds into the band yeah totally. but at the same point you guys can play yeah but how many years did it take you to get from that? We want to be fun, but we also want to be good. Want to be good, yeah. And it was like it was after the first album came out, and you know, it was locally produced, and it was totally abundantly clear that there was no one in Ireland who was any good at like producing metal. So Citizen Brains at first. No, there was like one before that self-release one called Survival of the Fastest. That was I, sorry, by I had it. Yeah, a little label in Europe and stuff. But it was it sounded so crap that people were like, Is this a reissue of an album from the eighties? And we were like, Way, mission accomplished, this is yeah. the best <laughs> the greatest compliment ever. But it kinda of became quickly apparent that, you know, if we wanted to be good, we would have to go to England to record and if we wanted to be good we would have to start seriously gigging. And like the first maybe year that we were on Eric Records we were still playing pretty badly and um they forced us to go out on like pretty long tour. I think it was like fifty shows. And that was like after those fifty shows we were a lot better. Oh yeah, well, the, yeah. The, you can. I think you can practice and practice and practice as a band. You can get guys that lock in and are really tight musicians, but yeah. if you can't do it live, yeah. And the, and the problem of it is, I think with modern music is there's so many bands that can fake it in the studio. Yeah. With metal, especially if you can't cut it live. Yeah. People are gonna know real quick. And you know what's crazy is we've had bands supporting us uh, before on tour, who have had like triggered completely triggered drum kit and like all the backing vocals on a tape. Like you're going to see White Snake or something, and you're like, "This is crazy!" Like imagine starting off from that point of view and saying, "Like, don't worry, we'll put all the rhythm guitars on a tape and we'll just all play to that." You know, that is crazy because it's it so is, restrictive. It? Yeah, and like I guess there's been lots of people who've been incorporating, you know, uh, samples and things like that into music for a long time, but um, it just goes against the whole idea of like four guys in a room plus a tape doing all the hard things for them, you know. Yeah, I think that's a bit of a, a cop out live as well. Yeah. There, there was, I suppose, in metal as well. Was it years ago? Was it Cradle of Filth used to have that? There was backing vocals on yeah. tape, and was it like a, a a digital voice box that made the squeals and stuff? Yeah. And all that kind of stuff. It's kind of weird. Where uh, if you listen to Gamma Bomb, that is all Philly. Yeah, <laughs> all Philly and the screeching and he, he just noises. puts he just puts an elastic band around his testicles before that's he it. goes on stage, yeah. and he's a natural. Yeah, he had a like so. Basically, he had, he ended up having vocal surgery and stuff because he was such a bad singer. <laughs> um, yeah, we did uh, again. Like so, after that first album we did on Eric, we did another one and we did like a really long tour for it. And it took it was over the course of a year and a half, but it was like a hundred and seventy shows, which is tons for like a part time band. And by the end of it, Philly. And uh, yeah, they went and said you put vocal polyps and you need to go and get them removed. And um, he did that, and for two weeks he wasn't allowed to make any noise at all. And if anyone's ever met this guy, he's a motor mouth, you know. And (laughs) me and Darren were talking about making involuntary noises because you're a musician. He found that the hardest thing not to do was laugh. Because you could sit there and watch something, but you couldn't laugh. So he said the only thing he could do was hit his knee. So (laughs) anytime he saw something funny, he would be sitting slapping his knee. Like a pound in my body. I'll slap my thigh. Exactly. But yeah, it took him ages. It took him like uh, three years to recover from that, and he had to go to 
like an opera teacher and all that sort of stuff. Wow. Yeah. They still can't sing. What's the crack? I know. It's mental. <laughs> and look, that was the album of Insane Injuries. Our guitar player, Donald, this is like the stupidest story of all time, right? This is what podcasts are for. Stupid stories. Yeah. So, you know the way, like, if you like rock music, you wear tight jeans? Yes. So, uh, sometimes what happens is the inside of your pocket comes out of your jeans, like so. Yeah. Demonstrates that happening. Yeah. This, this, and then... This is... This is audio but yeah, yeah. I'll, that's anyway, you know what from. happens basically your jeans pockets inside out and you're like I'm going to tuck it back in so he was doing that with his middle two fingers in his hand and pulled his finger out like that and snapped the tendons and the finger was like you know in um, in in the shape yeah, of a C chord the shape of a C chord <laughs> yeah and it wouldn't move and he had to go and get a, a stirrup on his finger and he couldn't play guitar for six months Okay, and that's so, where Kevy Canavan came back in and saved the day and did a tour for us. Wow. So, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> uh, guys, we all know that the tight jeans are trendy these days, but uh, I would have thought that the thing you'd be more worried about there would be low sperm count. That's probably good. That's one of the For you guys, yeah. yeah. Um, some of the guys in the band actually have a couple of kids now and are you know married and stuff like that, and they're all going and getting hysterectomies and stuff anyway. <laughs> <laughs> the snip rather hang on I was going to say yeah. that'd be impressive Wait if a male could get a hysterectomy Wait a minute Yeah so um, but yeah there's the perils of rock and roll don't wear don't wear jeans that are too tight don't like the 80s too much and if you have to sing all the time learn how to sing I, I feel like that's pretty good uh, it, it fits in well of the image of the band called Gamma Bomb yeah. like no one's ever they're not like Megadeth no one's been on the smack no one's almost died of drinking like Metallica but uh, Domo's definitely hurt his finger he hurt his finger once, and uh, and yeah, there's been a couple other ones. Uh, ten years ago, we played at a festival that we got banned at. This is this is a good story, a series of stories of being banned from places. In are you still banned? Are we allowed to, yeah, are we we are. Allowed to say it, the name? So it's called Hammerfest in Wales, and uh, we were playing the same, it was St. Paddy's Day, and Ireland were playing England in the rugby. And um, there was another band, a British metal band called Onslaught. They were one of the other bands playing. And we had our big rider in the room who had like Jägermeister and lots of beer and stuff. And then some guy knocked on the door and said, uh, are you guys Onslaught? I brought your rider here. And we said, yeah, we are. So they brought in all their <laughs> beer and Jägermeister. And Ireland won the rugby on St. Patrick's Day and there was lots of drinking and yo-ho-ho. And then so time for the gig came at midnight and we discovered our drummer was just really, 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 really drunk. And, you know, we're forcing coffee into him and stuff. And he managed to play the gig, but his brain was commuting it computing everything about two seconds late so every time he was going for a symbol grab or you know some roll it was always like in the middle of <laughs> in the middle of the next bar so yeah that was a disaster and they told us they didn't want us to come back and then um actually loads of these things happened recently we played a gig in manchester there a couple of months ago and um we got banned from that venue for giving out beer to the audience Ooh. Yeah, they, they'd given us like two cases of hot cans of Budweiser. We were like, we do not want to drink this. And they were like... Number one, it's Budweiser. Yeah, Number two, it's, it's hot. hot. <laughs> so during the gig, uh, I'm at the merch table. Anyone who bought something, we give them a can of Budweiser. Oh, that's nice. During the songs, hand out hands, cans of Budweiser. And after the show, they come up to us and said, yeah, you're banned from playing in here because you're giving the audience free beer. This is the least <laughs> rock and roll <laughs> venue ever. Isn't now, it? Guys, if you know anything about music or if you're of a similar age, I'm 33, Joe, dare, dare I ask, what is he? 36. 36. Yeah. We are of the age of rock and roll is booze and rock and roll, right? Ripping, ripping out the toilets in the in the top hat. Yeah. So, oh my God, that happened at one of my gigs. Yeah. Um, if that, if you're a venue, like venues all over the UK are closing. 
because nobody goes to watch bands anymore or yeah. there's a now we've now become a niche audience classic rock is now classic itself mm-hmm. uh, so there's venues closing so if a venue is banning somebody for being rock and roll while in a rock and roll band yeah. not good fuck off <laughs> <laughs> I'm like banned from playing the Bloodstock which is a festival in England as well and we played there a couple of years ago and um, they gave us our normal fee and we just went and did the gig and it was great and then this year they asked us to come and do it again and we were like yeah sure no problem and they said but we can't pay you for doing it I do remember seeing yeah. this controversy so we said oh we can't do it and they were like oh blah blah anyway it was uh, it was just one of those old situations where you were like okay well <laughs> they were like well you, I guess you guys can't come back and you're like luckily the world is full of amazing places that, yeah you know thanks but we can't load up a van put it on a ferry drive to where you are incur a cost of about £500 yep. on the hope that we sell 12 t-shirts and get a free rider yep <laughs> that'll need to be some rider that's it isn't it okay this is what I am get you guys are banned from venues um, look I know people think that metalers are scary and stuff but I, I always find that rock music metalers punks are some of the nicest most accommodating yeah. people ever how are you banned from places <laughs> isn't that mad but so there you go it's all through either uh, accidentally getting too drunk or um that's it. Yeah, there's a, there's not really an awful lot of rock and roll attitude. It's more um, us trying to... A comedy of errors? Yeah, comedy of errors. Oh but that's the God. thing, you know, the older... Whenever you're young, that would be a huge thing. And you'd be like, oh my God, what the hell are we going to do? And the older you get, the more you're just like, don't worry, it'll be fine. Like, you know, and uh, not worry about things of that nature. That is ridiculous. Um, Just just you coming back then. So you said about the toilet getting ripped out. Yeah. Did that happen on one of your shows also? Um, I think that was either... A recurring thing that happened at lots of shows in the top hat, or or maybe it was the same gig. The first ever gig I ran. Who was playing that? Mojo Rising from Cross McGlenn. Right. Upstairs, very, very top of, it would have been the Dean's then? Oh, yeah. That's where we played our first gigs. Yes, I ran a gig in there, and uh, packed house, busier than I thought it was going to be, yeah. which was mental. I was like, okay, maybe I'm, like, I'm, this is going to work out brilliantly, this promotion. Number one as well, I was 17, so... Yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't supposed to be in the bar. <clears throat> I booked it and right before the headliner was supposed to go on, the security came to me and said, smashed up the, somebody smashed the toilet. Yeah. And there's only one work. Now there's a trough to piss in, but the the law or the insurance is if there's no working toilet, the venue gets closed down. Yeah. I was like, can't you just send them downstairs? Like, no, I got to call the gig off. <laughs> okay. So right before the, the headliner went on, they were set up, plugged in. <laughs> gig gets pulled by security. The lead singer uh, of the, um, Headliner band Mojo Rising, guy called Brenton Hanratty. I hope I don't get him sacked because he's a, he's a, he's a primary school teacher now. <laughs> Lovely fella, Brenton. How you doing? Uh, he was like, "Let's find who did that and fucking kill them." Because <laughs> the gig got called off and we had to evacuate everybody. And then yeah. I had to. But the brilliant thing was, I think somebody thought I broke the toilet then because I just booked them a new gig and we filled it again. Brilliant. So uh, <laughs> in the true rock and roll story, I the fat cat. Made money twice. Bingo. But I still paid the guys for not playing because I'm a lovely fella. We got a gig uh, called off in the top hat once uh, because someone in the audience uh, called the cops because their younger sibling was underage drinking. I remember this. And then we wrote on the back of our first demo, no thanks to such and such person for being a police tout. And then ended up having to go, their parents came down and were like, it's actually a really dangerous thing to call someone a police type publicly. Yeah, and, in uh, your yeah. yeah. We had to apologise and stuff like that. And we had legal advice from someone who was all like, don't apologise because theoretically telling the police about a crime is a good thing. And I was like, no, listen, let's just apologise and um, 
and leave it at that. Which I thought was funny because obviously you guys thought that was hilarious yeah. after eight tins. Yeah. I'm like, let's put that on That's the back. Hilarious. Like, yeah. And uh, which is always the classic way. How does any of these things happen? I love when bands do stuff to ideas. amuse themselves. Yeah. Just stupid ideas. You're like, brilliant. Okay, so one of the things on that as well is sort of being from Uri. So I do stand-up comedy and I've been very fortunate in the last nine years to be able to do it around the world. Yep. So like this year I've done Australia, New Zealand, I did Southeast Asia. You guys are going to Japan. Yeah, we are. Have you done Japan before? No, this is the first time. Oh, this is so cool. Do you need a roadie? I would love one, but we haven't enough bother getting our own tickets paid for, so... Butter, okay. (laughs) All right, no no trip to Japan for me. Um, That's so cool because obviously the joke... Or the joke of the time is, you know, we're picking Japan. Big Japan. Go <laughs> to Japan, because they, so, they love rock culture. Here, this is nuts. We had, about four years ago, a Japanese tribute band. A Japanese Gambon tribute band called Gamma something bomb in Japanese. And their videos were up on YouTube of them playing gigs. And we were like, this is nuts. This is so weird. And we contacted a promoter and said, we have a tribute band in Japan. Surely, does that not mean we should be coming over and doing some gigs? And the guy's like... No, this tribute band are really unpopular, so you know we're taking that as a measure of you guys being unpopular. So, so no, but uh, yeah, finally we've had a couple of albums released there under license. So one of the companies who's doing that is bringing us over. So that's so cool. And it's going to be country number forty. So it is. That's really weird. I, I did a count the other day of places I've either backpacked, worked with bands, or done comedy. Yeah, forty. Yeah, <laughs> I'm up to forty. Yeah, there you go. And that was from doing Europe with the Dangerfields and. Yeah, UK, Europe with the danger fields and then off my own back, Southeast Asia, uh, the Antipodes over to North America. Amazing. So we're having you toured. We're do- I mean, Japan's a massive one. I'd love to do that. We're yeah. having you toured, but you'd love to do Because metal's massive. South America, you've been there yet? Yeah, I've been there a few times. That's so, so good. Been all over South America. Um, um, where would I love to do though? I haven't been. Southeast Asia. And um, we were offered to do it as part of this Japanese tour. You know, there was a guy who wanted to bring us to India and then do all the stops on the way to Japan. But... Again, it's it's really hard to sort of justify going away for three weeks at the, these days. You know, whenever everyone's got young kids and stuff, we can go away for four or five days and do something cool or, you know, go away to, like, say something like Japan's only going to take a week. But, you know, there's a lot of times where doing stuff with the band, you have to kind of weigh up what's, what's the best thing for the longevity of the band and, you know, people's happiness, you know. So, as I said, in the past we've done, like, super long tours and stuff and we're kind of realize that we're now in that middle part of our career where it's like you know the 90s kind of version so we're waiting for the <laughs> 2000s album so people rediscover us and no it's yeah we'll, we'll end up touring more i think the older we get but at the minute it's a it's only kind of weekend warrior sort of stuff it's like our version of golf we go away for the weekend and then go back to normal life can i just recommend if you're waiting for the 90s to happen just don't release uh don't release a Motley Crue grunge style album. Yeah. Because that didn't go well for them. I know. It's, so keep thrashing. Like. Yes, isn't it? It's so weird to see, like, you know, after the Black Album come out, there was, like, bands either tried to emulate that Metallica album and the success that they had because their managers were saying, you guys are a thrash band. Try and make an album like this. Yeah, write a ballad. It. Yeah. <laughs> or, as you said, they tried to adapt to doing a kind of grunge style thing, you know? And a lot of the bands who ended up doing okay out of it were the ones who sort of end up sticking to their guns, you know. Well, here's something else I wanted to ask you, and this is this is definitely something that's always troubled me. Okay, okay. so you guys you guys do thrash metal, yep. which is guitar, bass, drums, yep. singer. Whenever the nineties happened and grunge happened, yeah. What do you think happened to all the guys from the eighties that played saxophone and keyboards? Where did they go? 
like cruise ships is the answer to that is, I, yeah. I've always wondered because like I know a couple of guys who were in like her metal bands in the 80s and stuff and they were like yeah we spent a lot of time in cruise ships you know in America such a huge thing and such a well in America like stuff like Kenny Loggins was kind of popular in the early 90s so easily listening there is a kind of out for that but yeah I don't know I think a lot of guys just spent a lot of time in the 90s scratching their heads being all like how do I adapt to this kind of music you know do you know why though Kenny Loggins is brilliant that's why saxophone solos are the best thing ever I love my Kenny Loggins we were um, I was attending and uh I was working at an 80s festival or a couple of weeks ago. I, was, I was going to approach this subject. So many saxophone solos and they were amazing. Yeah. Like, uh, it was the Belfast Rocks Festival. I was pulling pints at the bar and <clears throat> basically enjoying a free day, listening to class music and getting paid yeah, for it. Great. We talk about 80s movies and 80s references that are in the songs and stuff. We just, maybe we're just like stuck in the past. Yeah, that's it. You know? And I discovered it's not just the 80s, it is the 90s as well. And I think like horrifyingly, there'll probably be a period in about 10 years where we'd be reminiscing about 2008 and how amazing that was so for him but yeah it's just I suppose like once Brexit like properly kicks in and everything becomes all black and white and stuff and you know well, I mean, look, it all oh, maybe, maybe maybe Thrash will swing back around and you'll be the biggest band in the world because I mean people are buying vinyl again Yeah, someone has tricked people into buying something that they got rid of 20 years ago and now you outsell CDs yeah isn't that nice that wouldn't be hard to <laughs> But pe- yeah. yeah, people are now. Um, so when you guys, and that's the nostalgia weirdness of it. Like you know, people now sell cassettes, and what people give off to us for not having cassettes, you know. Yeah. And the same with VHS tapes and stuff like that. And I think like I used to love buying vinyl, and I have a huge collection. But I only really use it for skinning up on. Like if I want to like listen to anything, I'll just listen to it on the laptop. Yeah. Spotify. Because I have like kick-ass speakers, and it sounds great. Whereas if I go and find my vinyl, it'll be all like. What was like two thousand and five Joe doing to this? There's like tobacco all over this. Or, yeah, you know, tomato sauce. Yeah, it's when just like trying to sausage roll. Whenever you're younger, like that appeal for physical music is a lot stronger. And the older you get, maybe I don't know. Uh, for me, certainly, it's I don't really, I don't really care about that as much. I want to listen to it, but I don't care about having it. You know, I find that. But when I was younger, and I was you know spending um, being a teenager, and you buy a CD and buy an album. I would stick the album on when I got the new album and like read the liner notes. Yeah. I don't know why I needed to know who produced this or uh, what the music publisher's name was, but I loved all that stuff. Yeah. The booklet and, but vinyls are cool because I got the gatefold and stuff. Mm-hmm. But half, it's it's so weird. It's such a scam. People are people are buying vinyls of albums they owned in 1988. Yeah. Like, what'd you do with the original one? I fired it out. I had an what? argument with somebody uh, recently about this, about Master of Puppets. Uh, and I was saying, yeah, well, you know, I downloaded it, uh, the box set, um, and they're like, oh, yeah, you shouldn't be doing that. I was like, well, I've given Metallica hundreds and hundreds of pounds throughout my teenage years. And yeah. I bought that album on cassette and CD and vinyl and stuff. Surely do you not get reached a point now where it's like, okay, well, you've you've done your part. You can now listen to that just any way you want. Like, you know. I, okay, care. I'm with you because, yeah, I spent a lot of money going to see those bands. And yeah. ticket prices are dear now because people don't buy uh, physical music. Well, that's part of the reason. And part of the other reason is just because they can get away with it, you know. There's, on that excuse yeah and there's like been a couple of weird ones specifically with Metallica and stuff where they their manager said you know we just decided we'd put our ticket prices up a third and see if people complained and they didn't so no because it's Metallica yeah and that's they, the, they have that that built in uh, the fan bases there already like they played Slaying Castle for God's sake yeah but the thing is like it, it's it's only in that level of bands like Guns N' Roses and like other 80s-ish bands like Tears for Fears and Lionel Richie can charge a lot 
But there's a lot of other bands like Therapy and The Stranglers or stuff who are never going to leave 20 quid zone. Like, you know, that's, yeah. that's where they are. And same with us, so it's always going to be like 10 quid or whatever into our gigs, you know. Because that's the thing. People will perceive to be all like, well, I have to see Metallica. So I, whatever the price is, that's what I'll pay. Whereas if someone said Therapy's 40 quid, you'd just be like, I'm not. I'm definitely not going. Look, like, you know. There you go, people. A uh, a metal band that charges punk prices. Yeah. <laughs> Ding. Uh. So la- latest release was Speed Between the Lines. Yep. This is what I wanted to ask because when I was doing a bit of research to come and chat to you. Yeah. And something that we talked about, and I I was asking about this on on your Twitter a wee while ago. Uh, who does? Did you do the Twitter? Philly Sorry. does it. Philly does the Twitter. I was asking because I like throwing off stuff about Gamma Bomb and recommending the band to people. Um. Not all your albums are on. Spotify. No. Are you allowed no. to talk about this? Yeah. Philly loves talking about it. So <laughs> I just want to make sure in case there's it because you said about getting banned from places and getting in trouble accidentally. Yeah. Uh, we've talked about six albums and original demo. I think I have an original demo somewhere. Okay. Maybe in my mum's house. Hell Trucker, Bullet Belt. Yeah. Keep that. You might, uh, Is might... it Zombie Trucker? I'm trying to remember the songs. Hell Trucker. Hell Trucker. Bullet Belt? Command. Zombie Command. Yeah, Thank you. Uh, so that, um, that's got to be worth three, four quid. That's it. Um, Save that for when you need a new kidney. <laughs> beans. Kidney yeah. beans. Uh, so they had six albums. Only three are on... Who put out those last three? AFM uh, Records for a German company. Okay, cool. Put out the first three. And then uh, we own the first one. And we haven't put it up there just probably due to laziness. Um, it's kind of a weird one. As I said, me and Philly were the original guys. A couple of the guys who played on the first album aren't, uh, aren't in the band. So... We, we, di- we haven't even disagreed about it we're just have collectively been too lazy to relicense the album fair so, enough but we will do that this year it'll go up this year and then so the two albums we did for Eric which are the kind of bigger label in England they have taken down uh, due to some sort of objection that they have and this is a kind of warning out here I guess to anyone you know who's in that position is whenever you sign a record deal like and make a record you have to remember that even though like they're your songs and stuff if the publishing deal and the record deal deem it like you do not own that music so if the people that you have released the music if you have a problem with them or if they have a problem with you basically it's their ball so if they want to take it off the pitch they can you know yeah and there's a couple of other bands who are on that label Napalm Death and um, Carcass and stuff and they've done the same thing to them as well see I feel like Napalm Death are, are a bigger band than oh, Gamma yeah, Bomb sure, yeah. surely they would still generate money and content from well, owning those the, Napalm Death albums well that's the whole thing that doesn't make any sense is that like obviously Napalm Death are going to sell a lot more records and t-shirts and stuff than we do but we still would generate whatever amount of thousand pounds for that label a year so it's kind of it's it's difficult for us to sort of understand why they want to do it now all these kind of things in music all come back to some sort of financial thing. There'll be something about tour support or something where they've deemed that we owe them money or we owe them something, you know. And um, I think what's realistically likely to happen is that they're going to sell those albums and all their metal catalogue onto different labels because they used to be a kind of extreme metal label and now they're kind of like a southern rock label and stuff. I was going to say that because, I mean... Anybody who's into their music and stuff, Eric had a lot of what we would deem bigger rock bands. There'd be a lot yeah. of Kerrang and Scuzz and what you would have seen years ago that was on TV, music yeah. TV, were signed to that label. Yeah, totally. So yeah, they were like like probably the biggest metal indie in the world, really, uh, for a while. And uh, yeah, they definitely give us a huge startup in life and stuff. But it is it's very like anti music and anti art. The idea that those records aren't available. But the thing is like. 
like I've talked to some people about it who were like probably oh my god what the hell he's going to do and we kind of said well we're not going to do anything at the minute because the whole time that we were growing up all the bands that we kind of discovered and got into and loved like Nuclear Assault and stuff like that their albums weren't available you know and we had to go and download them or buy the vinyl second hand and we have absolutely no problem spending 10 years with those two albums being in that kind of situation you know yeah. until we can find a find a solution for it you know so if you have a CD copy of Citizen <laughs> Brain what's the other two? Uh, Citizen Brain and Tales from the Grave in Space and this is the weird one Tales from the Grave in Space was re- released for free online with the label's consent and the legal download link is still active on their website but they've taken it off all streaming platforms and taken the CD off sale but you can still download the album legally for free yeah so get on that if you want to hear if you want to hear something that is now I suppose a bit more exclusive because you can't track yeah. it on but, so uh, it is, but like it's kind of weird it's once you get into this thing of having X amount of albums down your sleeve it's the same with every band there ends up being some weird story with one or two of the albums oh this is the one that's owned by that company and they've got a beef with us or something so it's it's not something that we're particularly worried about anyone so who wants to hear those albums can go and download them or torrent them very very easily it it's must like, be that thing from the weird record deals like bands like Aerosmith anything off their first three albums a check goes to their original manager because yeah. he screwed them on the deal so there's there's that kind Blondie of weird Blondie are one of the worst ones for that Blondie all their stuff up to like uh, Parallel Lines all the royalties all go to their ex-manager thank god Parallel Lines was their big one then or they'd have no cash that's the one that he gets all the stuff up to, up to and including that album so any back catalogue stuff people all that so it's only the ones after that eat, for, eat to the beat and stuff that they made money off but they just said that like it was horrendous situation you know managers in rock and roll don't really mix and we've had our problems with managers and stuff in the past but Blondie's managers used to encourage them to take loads of coke and would you know leave them bags of coke in their dressing rooms and stuff like that and then were aghast that you know, they were all drug addicts but their managers were really smart they had like a plan where they were like these guys are now so doped up the same thing happened with Megadeth by the way where they weren't attending band meetings but there was a contractual obligation that they had to so what the manager was doing was hiring a, an attorney to represent each of the five, five members and they were having meetings day in day out and stuff and incurring thousands and thousands of pounds like, the drummer from Blondie said that in 1980 they had like five number one UK singles and in 1981 he was completely stone broke wow yeah and Dave Allison from Megadeth said the same thing he said after the Russ and Peace tour he came home and there was a thing from the IRS saying you owe us X million dollars and it was all just bad management because these guys were off being like we're living the dream this is amazing Russ and Peace must have been like a two year tour that was a huge album so and that'll just go to show like if you don't have your eye on the ball about finances like that it's very easy to you know for things to get away from you it's so weird as well because musicians are such artsy you know airheads (laughs) and then you're like here's a contract and this is finance and you're like I just want to play my guitar and they're like no sit down and sign this okay and then as you say but once you're doing it every night and you're off rocking and rolling and having a great time surely that is so far behind your thought and you want to get home and go "Um, I've got a few pounds in my account but it could be more you could be organised more yeah, that's true. And, you know, there's definitely, like, everyone has an amount of time that they want to put into the band in their life, you know, especially if you're like us and you have a real life going on at the same time and stuff. Um, It's never been about money. And, you know, we make good money from doing gigs, but it all goes back into the machine. Like, you know, occasionally we'll take 50 quid each, you know. That's about it. You rock and roll bastard. <laughs> but that's, that's kind of it. Like, because there's always stuff that needs done. Like, you know, T-shirts 
you know, et cetera, et cetera. And we need to have like a safety net of X amount of thousand pound in the account so that say if you're in South America and it turns out the promoter's a flake and hasn't booked your flights home or something, you're like, yeah. you have to get home. <laughs> yeah, That's it's a good thing Argentina's thing. nice. <laughs> God, we did like, so we did a show in Mexico uh, a few years ago and after the show got to the airport and the airport in Mexico is like kind of really small. It's like Belfast International size and there was like about 15,000 people in the airport. It was like completely jam full. And we're like, oh shit, you know, how are we going to check in for a flight? We're in the queue for like five hours and like a lot of trains, planes and automobiles got to the top and they just closed it. Wow. And we're like, uh, and then we eventually got booked on to um, the replacement flight that they were putting on and then got there and again, like we were just walking up to the desk and they closed the desk and we're like, what? Took us like forty five hours to get home. <laughs> like, Argh. okay, so that's that's a downside of a rock and roll so story. Of, yeah, and like <clears throat> that, that kind of thing frequently happens. There's like, unless you're like, you know, it's a different kind of thing for different guys. Like Jerry Morgan isn't a big van, so his flight will be at midday. Our flight will be the Ryanair flight at seven a.m. You know, so it's amazing. <laughs> I didn't even know Ryanair flew from Mexico. That's so cool. <laughs> That's it. They stop in the middle of the ocean. You have to swim from there. Yeah. So, so if you guys are playing in England, like the gig finishes at midnight, you walk off like rock stars, and then you hurriedly have two tins in the Chinese, and then get sent straight to the airport for the six a.m. flight back. <laughs> so, like, we've done loads of that kind of thing, and like South America was the definitely the worst for touring like that because it was like a lot of going on stage at eleven, getting off at one, getting to the hotel at two, and then leaving the hotel at four Ugh. to get a flight at six to fly to Paraguay, and then doing the same thing. And like there was like whatever ten or twelve countries, we just did them in ten or twelve days, and it was just like really everyone was really sick by the middle week because you're doing yeah. effectively two flights in twenty four hours and doing a gig and getting pissed, so you're just like, oh, I don't feel so good. It's essentially it's a, it's a giant stag do. Yeah, that's what you guys go it. on because as you say, it gets to that point where when you're younger and you want to be a pisshead, join yeah. a band and it's great crack and we all have tins and then we play a gig and then we have more tins. Yeah. Then when you get older. You get away from your wife and kids for a few days. Hey, <laughs> everybody, everybody jumps on the golfing trip and gets tore in. So this is fantastic. This it's is the rip. Being a proper rock and roller in your thirties is an excuse not to be with your family. That's it, doesn't it? You can go and hide and sit and drink cans in the back of a van. Justified, justified yeah, hiding because you're bringing a few pound home. That's it. That's not too bad. <laughs> uh, quite literally a few three. But, so six albums in, uh, a couple of members who have come and gone. Yeah. EPs. Japanese shows coming up yeah what next are you, are you guys winging this or no like there's, there's like always a vague idea of what's happening in the next year and because our singer had a baby um, a couple of months ago congratulations Philly by the way and uh, Damo our guitar player had a baby last year we'll, there'll be like six months of downtime and we're changing label as well so we're going to sign with a new label in September so there'll be some downtime there with that and what else is going on we'll have to write an album That'll take about nine months, and I'm playing, helping out another band uh, from America called Agent Steel, doing bass on their album and stuff as well. So, so there's always like kind of bits and bobs to be doing, and then I guess it'll probably be next summer and stuff. We'll we'll be going to start gigging again. So we've got these shows in Japan in December, and a couple of more before that, and then that'll be it until next summer. Okay, and just before we sign off here, when do you think people can next see you playing live at the Dean's? Which is now that the, it's, it's changed up. It's now so the hard Phoenix to convince. Now. Like, we, we did Belfast in Dublin earlier this year, and it was cool. And I was like... Yeah, when yeah. I wasn't here, by the way. But I was like, let's go and do a gig in Newry or something like that. And 
there was just a unanimous no from everyone in the band and um, would like to but the thing is there's no bands in your area to play and there's no War 2 to play and that's pretty damning fair enough but we would like, would certainly like to do another gig in Yuri, but it would probably be twentieth anniversary, twenty twenty two. What's the space? Mm, okay, well, <laughs> well, it's not Yuri. Yuri is not as uh, well for music. It's definitely not as as bright as it used to be. Seeing as everyone used to be in a band. Well, that being said, we are going to go and see Bewitched and M people in Yuri today. So that is true. <laughs> we've we've had the eighties. Now check out the nineties. Yep. Uh, I think it's great, man. We're gonna have it is it is pride today in Yuri. Yeah. Uh, Heather Smalls does not just grace us for the crack. No, she is here with the message. With the message, and that ma- message is uh, she's moving on up. She she's is. moving on out. That's it. Uh, moving out. Omith, I think she said she's yep. moving to. Uh, that'll be moving out in Yuri. But uh, <laughs> yeah, um, Joe, thanks very much for coming in. We will uh, well, coming in. I'm in your house. But uh, thanks very much for coming on the podcast. And You're most welcome, man. Whenever you come back from Japan, we'll we have another chat, and you can tell me about how cool that is. Yep, we certainly do. I'm going to get to save it up now and see if they'll take me with them if we can get another visa. I'll just go and hang out in Japan because I've never been. Been all over Southeast Asia, never been to China, never been to Japan, and they have English language comedy clubs there, so I could tie on. Yeah. Right, we're, we're going to go have a, another cup of tea because we've only had six today. And uh, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, share this round with all your metalhead friends and even people who don't like metal so we can confuse them <laughs> with our talks of bands they've never liked or never, never heard, heard of. of. Who are tilted? Yes, and, <laughs> and talk of bands that that, uh, that weird dude they went to school with listened to. So, uh, Joe, thanks very much. Alrighty, bud. All right, Take we will easy. chat to you soon and uh, goodbye, everybody. <laughs>